Welcome to A Learner's Journey. My name is Molly Sanders, and the goal of this podcast is to inspire and motivate you by connecting you with a variety of passionate horsewomen and men who have dedicated their lives to helping horses and their people. I'm grateful you're here. In this episode, I get a chance to catch up with Lena Haug. Many of you got a chance to meet Lena when I interviewed her a few months ago when she was preparing to head off to Mongolia for the world's longest horse race. In this conversation, I get a chance to talk to her after she's done the race. And this conversation is so packed with fascinating information about the things that she encountered on this great adventure. If you haven't listened to the first interview, I would encourage you to do that, but you could jump into this one and it'll make sense because we're basically just hearing about her experiences during this race. I think you're going to love this interview. I am so excited to talk to you. I have so many questions. Um, But the first thing I wanted to ask you is after having done this crazy adventure, which we're going to talk a lot about, would you, would you do it again? If I had never done it, I would, I would drop everything and do it. It would be my top priority. Um, For me, this race ended up being like the most profound spiritual journey. And for me, what that ended up being was um, like a priceless, I, I would never risk trying to do this race again and have a similar experience because it was absolutely perfect. I I got the opportunity to hit every edge I'd ever thought I could encounter and then 50 more. <laughs> and, wow. and then what happens when you're stripped of, of everything, right? I mean, I'm used to the backcountry where you, you don't have that much equipment, but but you, I was stripped down to this, this level of, um, relying on an external source of energy. Like I've never been, I've never been that far past my edge to where I relied on this, you know, this power, this nature to just hold me up and show me who I am. And I got to meet a version of myself that was available, present, um, joyful, blissful that I'd never met before. And I would never risk trying to win a race. You know, I, I mean, I did not cross the finish line first, but to me in my heart, I won it for all the reasons above. (laughs) That's, that's so amazing. It's so, it's so beautiful. And it made me think of, I've, um, I'm always interested in watching people that do these grand adventures. I think I told you that in our first interview And um, there's a series that I've been watching. I can't even remember the name of it, but it goes into like, there's a river rafting uh, episode and then a mountain climbing episode and just people that are, that are, um, I think having similar experiences to what you're talking about, that they're just stripped of everything and they're, they're faced with um, survival and uh, nature in its extreme And, um, you know, I just, I think that that is, it's such a profound experience and, uh, how, how cool. Um, and I think it's really interesting that you, that you don't want to do it again, not because it was a terrible experience, but because it was so profound. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly it. I mean, 
I feel like if I was to do the Mongol Derby a second time and maybe in a year or two, I'll, I'll have a different thought about it. Um, sure. I miss, I mean, I would ride there tomorrow. I mean, I would, I, that was amazing, unbelievable. But the, fa- the, the racing part, if I was to do it again, I feel like it would be with the purpose to win it by crossing the finish line first. And that it's just not important to me. It's, so, so did but, that, did that, cause I know that you are, you, you have a competitive part of you or you wouldn't be driven to do the things that you do. <laughs> right. So did, did, did that come up as you were out there? Did you have to, did you have to grapple with that or tell us when you're out there? And I think most riders would agree. You realize this race is probably about 75, 80% luck. Okay. Uh, and each leg is its own race. And if you, and, and I got to ride each leg as its own race. And there were some that I won with flying colors and some that I was dead last. And they just, you get the average, <laughs> the average is the race itself. Right. And, um, I think after my first day, I had a really rough start. I had a really rough start. It was, I could chalk it up to just bad luck. Um, but I was dead last on for on the first day, stuck with a heart penalty on my first leg um, and barely felt like I was ever going to crawl out of that. Um, so the competitive side, it, it shifted very quickly. I think by the second day, it was like I, I realized how hard it would be to catch up to the people in the front without going over our time um, allowance. Mm-hmm. Um, within the time parameters and the horses and, you know, knowing, realizing that every horse, every leg is going to be so wildly different that it didn't feel possible unless the people in the front had major penalties to try and catch up to them. Okay. So what Mm -hmm. happened on the first day? What was the bad luck that happened? So on this at start camp, um, the first leg, the horses are assigned to you to keep the, the playing field even. And so I was handed this done and he was very sweet and very mellow. And I remember when I hopped on him, he didn't move. He just kind of stood there and I was like, Ooh, this is not looking good. And then one of the other riders, uh, one of the younger guys, he he yelled over sucks to suck (laughs) my training ride. And he's slow. And I was like, Oh no. I was like, okay, well at least he's safe. Cause there's a lot of people that get injuries on the start line because it's a mass start. and the second so he was very conservative but the bigger problem was is he colicked so I I was riding with Deirdre and um Alex another gal and we had decided to go a little bit as the crow flies which was up and over these rolling hills not our greatest plan and we you know lesson learned avoid hills but um I babied this horse, you know, he didn't, he barely picked up a sweat, but at some point, um, he, um, started to act a little funny. And, uh, by the time I got to the station, we did that leg in three and a half hours, which is very long. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came in at a high heart rate and the heart rate never dropped. And <clears throat> at about 30 minutes, his heart rate actually increased and he started doing the rolling, kicking stomach, oh. classic signs, super bummed. The vets were incredibly gracious. They were like, Lena, um, you know, you came in. We thought the horse was looked perfectly fine. They kept saying, oh, he's fine. He'll drop. He'll drop. Because he he wasn't sweating. He didn't look fatigued. He looked just sleepy. And, um, yeah, he, ca- he colicked. 
Uh, we tried to give him fluids, but the herder, I think, was a little bit embarrassed. And so the, he kind of grabbed the horse and pulled the bridle off and let him free. So there was nothing to be done. But I immediately sat a two-hour penalty on the first leg, first day. Oh. But it got, so as I was waiting my two-hour penalty, um, everyone else has gone through the station is left now for horse station two. Um, when I was done sitting my penalty, I went out to go pick my next horse and there was one horse on the line and he was freaking out because all of his buddies had left. Um, when, when we, when I say turn the horses loose, I mean, there is no fences. They just, they run loose as wild herds. So mm-hmm. all of the herd had, had gone or was chosen and ridden off on. So, uh, one of the vets, Kazi and I tried to saddle him and he broke free of the rain. He, he tore my rein and took off. So oh. I had so, so you had no horse. horse. Oh my so, gosh. Okay. What now, you know, should I walk? I don't want another penalty. I, and it was agreed upon by headquarters, um, that they would actually give me a leg forward in the van. It was about, it was about five o'clock at this point. Um, I had done one leg. We try and do three legs a day at a, at a minimum. Um, and so I got a ride forward free of penalty to horse station two and got to start fresh the next day. But as the very first day and the first leg was nothing to compare it to, it was incredibly stressful. I was, I cried just because first of all, one of my biggest goals was horse welfare. Um, I was horrified that on my first leg, I got a penalty because my horse was unwell. And, you know, now I'm dead last. Like what I, you know, you're training so hard for this and suddenly, you know, it's just chalked up to luck. Right. So it was, it shook me up a bit because I was like, this is, this isn't, this isn't flowing well. This is not great. But um, I got a good night's rest and got to start fresh on day two. And then from then on out, it was just cruisy. And uh, as far as the, as far as the race regulations go, cause it's, it seems a little unfair that you got the penalty for a horse colicking, like, and you, it wasn't like you came in at a really fast pace. You were, you know, you were going slow, you were doing all the right things. Did they, do you know, did they consider not giving you the penalty or did they have to just go, you know what, we've got to follow this and not make an exception? Yeah. Heart rate is hard. Um, heart rate, they pretty much hard line the, the horses, the goal of this is so a resting heart rate for horses, like 25 to 40. And they want our horses to come in at 56 beats within 30 minutes. And what that encourages is a long walkout. Um, so after that, I made a rule for myself of two and a half to three kilometers out. I will walk and that every time your horse will pass right through. And, and we're constantly, um, you know, horse welfare is the top priority of the, of the race. You know, Mm -hmm. we coming into this country where horses are absolutely sacred and the herders know their horses so well, Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're honored. And, um, you know, we're coming in as strangers and we, that would be very unbefitting of us to, to come and, um, you know, run their horses into a broken state. So. I think, and I really respect the heart rate, uh, the, the, the welfare penalty. And, and they check, the vets check their mouth. They check saddle sores. They check their backs. They check the whole horse over to make sure that we've ridden them clean. Mm-hmm. And that, um, that makes for a, a, a good, a good choice for, for the, the race. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, so do you remember, so that night, that night of the first day, I'm sure that was like, you're like, this is not what I signed up for. I mean, you touched on it already. You've done all this preparation here. You are, you know, dead last. You only got to ride one leg. I mean, like kind of, if you could have written out the, the worst scenario, it might've been, you know, some of those things. Like, do you remember what did you do to come back for day two? Or was day two a hard start? Day two was great. So that night, um, I had a little check-in with myself and I just, you know, had to had to let go of it, essentially go, that was today and tomorrow is an entirely new day. And I learned these few things um, that I will change um, moving forward. And, um, you know, if I have a, if I have a situation come up, I'm going to try and deal with it in the moment. And, and that ended up being a really good mindset because there was a lot of moments that came up that needed to be evaluated in that moment. But no, I did not, I didn't hang on to it. I did not hang on to what that felt like because, you know, starting at horse station two, the next morning, I was with the majority of the riders at that point. So most riders were at horse station two on the first night. And so I basically got to start back into the pack. Okay. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, so I know that you, uh, throughout this, you know, experience, you probably have a very long list of things that you learned. Um, are there, are there a couple that really stand out for you? Ooh, yeah. Um, wow. It's yeah, there are a lot. (laughs) (laughs) The biggest one coming back and, and processing, the whole experience was just um, a fo- like following my gut and my heart was a big one. It was it was put to the test, um, and I can attribute I think a lot of my overall well being after the race, physical well being after the race, um, to being very very keen on what my heart my gut was telling me as far as picking horses routes, um, people to stay with you know people to interact with and ride with, um, and slowing down. Whew, that's a big one for me. Um, I tend to be a person that is thinking in the future. And this race was 10 days of absolute presence. I mean, I did not have the opportunity to think in the past or the future. It was here right now. Right. And I know, I mean, we, meditation is that practice, right? And mm-hmm. to, to actively be forced into it for 10 days straight is the greatest gift. And that was definitely a concern of mine coming back of, am I, can I, can I embody what that gave me? Can I tap back into that? Can I, um, you know, make small shifts in my life to not get stuck in the future? Um, So I think that was the greatest lesson that I received and hope to carry on. (laughs) Yeah. That's really cool. I I just thought of something and I, I, in my, right now in my brain, it relates, but once it comes out of my mouth, mouth, it may not, but you know how, if you ride a horse, that's really well-trained and you can get a feel for, for what that feels like, like how it's such a great experience. And then you can bring that to, you know, other horses it kind of reminded me of that, that this experience, this 10 day experience gave you that experience of what it feels to be truly present. 
And now, you know, you're back in your regular life and it, all the, all the challenges that come with it, come with it, but you have that experience of what that feels like to be truly present. Um, Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And, and we have the skills to like tap into it. Um, I, I have this thing that I do now, I'll close my eyes and I'll picture where I was at one point in the race and I'll let this flooding of green flow into my mind and immediately my heart rate comes down and, and I can, I can tap into it. And it's, it's a thing I can, I can draw on. So I can build this picture in my mind. If I close my eyes of being on the step at this particular point in the race, the, my mind floods with this like dark sagey green and I can slow my heart rate and bring myself back to this more present moment. And it's something I will, I, I need to practice. I, I actually did it right before our interview here. And, oh, cool. and it, for me, it wells up that opportunity of, of being here now, you know, not getting stuck in, in what I should be doing, what I could be doing, where I, where I need to be in two hours or, um, right. so yeah, it, it's, and w- like you use the example of hopping on a horse, that's very skilled, you know, one that's, that's been trained very well and then bringing that gift to the, your other horses. Mm-hmm. And that's a great example. I think what we can get stuck in is thinking we know it <laughs> and, um, like, I don't, I don't want to get in the place where I think I've got this, I've got it. I've, you know, this is how would, you know, I learned this thing and now I've got it. It's, yes. it's a growing uh, seed and, and I want to be, continue being curious and continue growing from that. It's, that's just the beginning really. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting as I've been doing these interviews, one of the common elements that I've been hearing over and over from all these, you know, amazing horse people um, is that the red flag warning of, I got this, you know, as soon as you start going, yeah, I got this, look at me, I got this figured out that it's like abort, you know, (laughs) run. It's like not a good sign. So absolutely. And the derby, I think is just like this metaphor for all things life. That's exactly it. I mean, you think for one second, you've got this figured out and your horse face plants in a marmot hole and down you go. Yes. I know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Super, super interesting. Um, so what's, what's something that surprised you? Um, whew, um, I was okay. Um, many things pretty much every moment was surprising, but, um, I think a big one was how difficult it was to do more than three legs in the time we were allotted. Like, on one leg, you might get a crazy fast horse and you're like, I'm going to do four or five legs today. And then the next horse you hop on is like trotting for 40 kilometers and you're, and then you're back kind of averaging out. So I definitely thought that I could catch up or move around a bit more in the time allotment. And that was much harder than anticipated. The other thing that surprised me is I expected to camp out a lot more. I only camped out one night with a, um, with a family that uh, was not associated with the race at all. And that was because of how unpredictable the horses really were. Um, as far as, so there was the time constraint. So we rode from 7am to 6pm at first, and then they did shift that in the middle of the race because people weren't going to finish. Um, but in that time frame, you generally get into the next horse station, the, the third horse station of the day at around 5, 5, 5.45, and so if the cutoff was at six, 
what, how, why was it worth riding five minutes out and then camping if you have to hobble your horse, your horse is gonna run away. They are very challenging to bridle. They do not wanna be touched. And then you have to saddle it by yourself and get on and try and not get bucked off. So with those, those obstacles, it ended up not making sense for me to camp out really hardly ever. So if you, if you got into the last station and you decided to camp out, what you're, what I'm hearing you say is that you would, would you, would you take a fresh horse or would it be the horse that you came in? Okay. So it's the horse you came in on and you Mm -hmm. ride out. And then the next day when it starts, do you need to ride that horse back and pick a new horse or you, you leave on that horse? You leave on that horse. So you're only ever riding, let's say nine to 10 horse station, nine to 10, for example, if you only, if you got halfway between the two and camped out, you're a responsible for grazing your horse for an hour in the morning and at night, they need to be near water. You need to hobble it in order to try and contain it. Um, you cannot walk up and halter or bridle these horses. Like the way they're caught is on a huge stick with a little lasso on the end being galloped, like from a horse and rider chasing it. Like they are not, not handleable. Um, and I've worked with a lot of Mustangs. Like (laughs) these horses aren't wild, like Mustangs. They're wild, like feral dogs. They're, they're wild. Um, so if at night, when you're trying to sleep, if you're camping out, and you have your horse hobbled, they do a three-legged hobble. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, your horse will hobble away and you will be searching for it for a couple mm-hmm. hours. In the- if you're with someone else, you can tie the bridles together so their faces are together and that will slow them down a lot and you'll probably have them pretty close to you. But then you need to saddle them, which again, you sometimes there was two herders, one kind of in a chokehold, the other one getting it saddled. Um, it just depended on the horse, but most of the time they're they're not handleable so camping out involved a lot more um you know risk as far as like you may have just given yourself 30 extra minutes of riding than other people but maybe you're spending four hours the next morning trying to find your horse so it to me it makes sense i my t- the way that my timing ended up every afternoon you know at six o'clock i was close enough to a horse station that it made sense for me to stay there right okay so, and what was, what was it like at the station? Was it tense or? No, it was so nice. You have this, these are nomadic families. They've been contacted before the race by some of the race organizers they're met with. They, you know, they're, they have, um, gear is the Mongolian word for yurt, which I learned yurt is actually the Russian word. So, oh, okay. gonna, so they had an extra gear set up for us to sleep in. It's just kind of plastic laminate flooring and then the, the circular walls. And sometimes there'd be like, um, you know, little stools or something, but usually it was just empty and that's where we would sleep in. They would feed us. And then that's where the horse station, like where the lines are with the horses. So the next morning we'd wake up at five, you know, pack up bed rolls, get water, eat a bite, get a bite to eat, stretch a little bit, and then be ready to ride at six fifty. Um, well, it, it sounds like, cause I remember in our first, uh, interview, you talked about how, you know, how excited you were to get to know the people and the culture and the food and, and all those things. So it sounds like that was ready made at the, at the station. Yeah. It's all there. It was all there. And these families are Mongolians are incredibly generous. It is a, it is a, you know, quote unquote tent culture. So 
there's we learned all sorts of etiquette as far as entering a gear and and greeting people and like receiving gifts and giving gifts and mongolians live in a state of constant um sharing sharing stories sharing their space you don't knock on a door on a gear you step in with your right foot immediately you don't when you stand in there you say hello and and often you're offered um milk tea which is like cow's milk with salt and water erag hmm. uh, which is fermented mare's milk you're immediately offered you know food beverage hospitality and they're so curious about what in the hell we're doing out here who are these people with their tack and and they're riding our horses and like they love their horses and the fact that we love their horses was like so wonderful to them you know they they admire they were so happy to share their passion with us as well that's so as i i you know at night when you get in and you get your horse through the vet check and you get yourself a bite to eat and sit down you're pretty exhausted and i often just would chat for a little bit and then try and sleep as soon as possible um but yeah we as far as like you're you dive straight into the culture there is no this is not like you know americans have horses and they're they have a little house and hotel or anything. i mean you're you the nomadic families are your lifeline they are making this possible <laughs> that's really that's really cool um so one thought that i had or one question i have is so i know that um the mare's milk is a big part of the culture um are they are they riding these horses they don't ride mares. No. So okay. mares are really for breeding and mares milk. Um, they uh, are picketed on like a little line. So it'd be like uh, two pieces of wood in the ground with a lion on it. And that's where they they'll bring the mares in in the morning to milk and they tie the mares and foals on it for maybe half the day, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting thing because as feral as the horses are, they tie very well. Hmm. So you could always rely if you needed to, you could tie the horse to a, like the side of a fence. There weren't many fences mm-hmm. or there are no trees. So there's no trees to tie anything to um, or the high lines, which is where most people keep their horses. So yeah, the mares are pretty much strictly for, for food and, and breeding. And, but the horses that you guys were using for the race, are they, do they ride those horses? Yeah. Um, okay. Not necessarily a lot. Um, there, so Nadam is, is, uh, a huge festival that happens throughout the country and, um, horse racing is one of three sports, but really it is the main sport of the country. So Nadam horses are their race horses. So we were riding stallions and geldings only. Um, you knew if it was a stallion because it had their full mane and the geldings all have their mane and forelock roached. Um, if it was a particularly fast and and successful racehorse, they often would tie the forelock up into like a little pom pom, um, or they would have a blue band around the neck. That meant one of two things. One, it was like this horse is a retired Nadam racehorse and had been very very successful, or if you saw one out, you know, in a herd somewhere, it could mean that they're retired and that they were to be honored. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, so much respect for the horse. Um, so Nadam horses are ridden um, to be fit. They're not ridden to be managed. <laughs> then then if you were if you were tired and you needed a horse that was a little more predictable, 
often a little slower, but more predictable. You could tell the herder humble. I need a humble, moody humble uh, mm -hmm. horse. And um, you could also tell if they'd been ridden a lot because the, the girths they use are very thin and you could see scar, like white hairs. Um, and, and the horses had pretty worn feet and had this, the, we call them herder scars. You'd say, okay, that horse has been ridden a lot to move like goats and sheep and is probably going to be a lot more manageable mm -hmm. uh, to ride. So, but then no rhyme or reason, you know, I, I'd pick a horse and think it looked faster than hell and it would just plod along or, uh, -huh. uh one of my very, very fastest legs, the horse looked fat and unkempt and he was insane. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> um, yeah, but all of the herders are, um, are they're paid a little bit more. So for us to use their horses, they are being paid. That's a huge part of the race fee. If we as riders, when we get to the next horse station, make it, the vets make a note on our comments, we will comment on each horse. And if we say that horse was amazing, that herder is going to get paid more. Oh, wow. So they're, they're given like a training program to get the horses in shape for this race. And if, if, a rider comes and goes, wow, that horse plodded along was so tired. That herder's not going to get paid as much just because we want the motivated, the, you know, they, they should be motivated to get the horses in shape for this race. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that was another thing is um, after your race was done, I noticed that I think it was like a couple weeks later, another one started. Um, yeah. How, how many races a year are there? So normally there's just one a year. It's okay. Um, it was just that with COVID, the race had been postponed for two years. Oh, okay. So our race was supposed to be, uh, well, technically ours was the 2020 race, and then there was the 2021 race. So they ended up doing them back-to-back, -back, which is something that they'll probably never do again, because I know right. it was very simple. Um, But it, it just did because there was such a backlog. Of okay, that makes sense. And now it's time for a short commercial break. I'd like to invite you to a special private Facebook group called A Learner's Journey. It started in January of 2022 because I would hear from so many people about these podcast interviews and I'd hear wonderful stories and reflections. And I started to think about, wouldn't it be cool if other people could hear about these? And so I started the group and now it's turned into something bigger and it's a wonderful, safe place for horse lovers to come together and share about their journeys and support each other along the way. I'd love to have you join in. And now back to the interview with Lena. I've got uh, some questions from uh, a Facebook group that goes along with this podcast. And uh, so I wanted to ask you some of these questions because they're really good. Um, so this one's from Renee and she's wondering um, from all the preparation for this race, what was most helpful? What was least helpful? <laughs> And what, if anything, would you change? Great question. Yeah. Okay. Most helpful, ride. Just ride, 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 ride. I quit my job in January and went back to cult starting and rode for six months. I had no, so I had no injuries, no sores. My, my body held up like a champ. I was so happy. So that's all, that's the best thing you can do. Um, the other main thing about preparation was mindset. I went in with the goal of having an experience. So I, I went in with an open open mind to my what 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 was to be expected so i had done some you know brain opening of you know this could be go one of a zillion directions 
And my goal is to be safe, you know, come back in one piece, come, you know, prioritize force welfare and experience this culture and this incredible situation as a whole. And that allowed me to have an experience that wasn't focused on crossing the finish line first. Right. That's really, that's really good. Did you, I, you, you know, you don't have to out anybody, but did you see other people there that had more of a competitive mindset and then oh yeah, maybe they, maybe they're getting home and they could have had that race anywhere. You know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. I definitely maybe the experience for some people. I think it is wild enough to where it, it shook a lot of that out of people, Right. <laughs> but in the beginning when we all met in, in UB in Ulaanbaatar, which is the capital, um, before we headed out to the step, there was definitely a lot of sizing up, a lot of storytelling, strategizing, talk of like what we should do, what we shouldn't. And I think a lot of people's expectations were changed and humbled in a lot of way. And, and like I was humble is the word I would use to describe how I felt afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Very humbled. Um, and I think I think we can all agree on that. Um but yeah, and then the thing I would, I think that didn't help. Let's see. I think gear is critical. However, there were a lot of people that lost their gear and did the entire race without it. And I think, I think it's an important thing to know that you're not going to like chafe your back or get hurt with, you know, what you choose to ride in. I spent a lot of time thinking about gear and maybe I didn't need to okay. in the, in the end based on the fact that some people did this entire race without a single thing, except what they were wearing. Interesting. Just because they lost their stuff? Yeah, well, if the horse takes off, there's no, you know, there's no fences, so you may never see it again. Okay. Wow. So they're, you're, they provided the saddle and the bridle, but mm -hmm. all of your stuff was tied to the saddle? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we had a little saddle bag with your oh. sleeping bag, medication if you need it. Like, whatever could fit into five kilograms was in that little saddlebag. And if it took off, you may or may not see it again. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's there crazy. Men from, from New Zealand that lost theirs on the first leg and did the entire race without any gear. Wow. Yeah. But, that is, that is nutty. They're yeah. really thinking, oh man, all that time I spent stressing over what to get. <laughs> totally gone. Yeah. Again, practice and non-attachment from right. one moment. To, it's just like, Things just wow. happen. Okay. That's how it is now. Right. Right. <laughs> so well, would change. you, would you change anything? Whew. Um, this I've been asked this question and I have to say no, only because I, the, 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 the profound experience as a whole for me, if I changed anything, I would risk not having that. <laughs> right. So no, yeah. I wouldn't change. Yeah. I, I had an extraordinary time. That's, that's so wonderful. I love that. I love that concept that, you know, our struggles, our hardships, that, that there can be a sense of gratitude for them because they brought you to a certain place. And like in those 10 days, it was all condensed. Right. But, um, all of those things factored into it, what you're saying, your, your experience. So that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, okay. So another question, um, this one's from Rita and she's wondering how many legs each horse will run in a day and, um, how many races, which I think you may have answered, but, um, how many so, legs and how many races? 
I, I think that's a great question to bring because horse welfare is always such a big thing, especially in horse racing. These horses are doing one leg only in the entire, in right? the entire so, race. Entire race. Oh. So we had 29 legs. They're all about 40 kilometers, so like I don't know, 30 miles. Each each station is run by one or two or three families. So their horse is used for the one leg and then returned back home. Oh. They are more than once. And they're only ridden by one rider. Wow. If you can think of the mass of this, they had vets come out and pre-vet check over 1,200 horses. Wow. For this. Unbelievable. That is unbelievable. How many vets were there? We had, I believe, eight vets. Wow, that is crazy. How do you know how long they were there before you guys arrived? Like how long did they have to do all this? Um they start prepping. I mean, that's why they do one race a year. I mean, it's prep constantly. And remember, these are nomadic families. They move every 30 to 40 days. So finding them, you know, negotiating where they're gonna be in six months, making sure that, you know, they they take pictures, they document the horses. They give them a, a training program. Um, and then, you know, right before the race, I, I can't honestly say exactly. I don't know exactly what the process is right before, mm -hmm. but the horses are turned loose, you know, eat and drink all night. So they have to be herded back up, tied up. And there's 60 plus horses on the line because we have to have extras in case, you know, in the morning, ready to go at 630 a.m. Wow. That is, yeah, that's a huge undertaking. And it's super interesting no. that they only run one leg, but it makes sense what you're saying that it's, you know, just a collection of families. Right. Um, but I was thinking that, you know, you probably see one of the horses that you'd ridden again, or maybe ride it again, but wow, that's, that's an incredible amount of organization. Yeah. And then those horses are ridden back or herded back home, all 40 kilometers back. Wow. Have a truck and trailer, to, and there's, there's not roads necessarily. Right. It's, right. it's all old school. <laughs> wow, that's that's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like you already mentioned, typically there's only one race a year, but this year because of the backlog of COVID, yep. there were there were two then this year or three. Two races, just two, two races. Okay. And okay. The second um, race did our race in reverse. Oh wow! Okay. So a lot of the same families, some swapped out. There were some issues or some families just said, no, thanks. I'd rather not do it again. Um, but they they likely used the same horses from our race. So okay. this year, unique year, those horses did two races. Okay. But each horse still only did one leg in the 10 days. Right, right. Mm -hmm. That's Yeah, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, so there's another one. Let's see. Uh, Stephanie, um, she's wondering what you learned about how the native people treat their horses, which you talked a little bit about, um, and the equipment they use. So is there anything else that comes to mind? Yeah. Um, again, I'll just reiterate, these horses are sacred to Mongolians. Um, they are horrified that we have fences and keep our horses corralled. <laughs> the horses live as wild bands. They are completely intact. I had this moment trotting, you know, last little bit into the uh, station and I saw two stallions just grooming each other. I was like, oh, the beauty yeah. of nature in its natural form, you know? Um, so 
they they are the herders are a little like gruffer like when they pull the bridle on and off there's definitely some ear twitching happening there's some choke holds the horses are arguing they're not down um they ride standing up and they have these they're basically wooden saddles that are very small narrow you don't sit in them you stand um and they are the most incredible riders i mean i'd see these guys hauling up and down hills not holding on to the reins just with a pole lassoing a horse i mean nobody i know could ever ride like that they are velvet and us falling off our horses they probably just laugh at us like what's wrong with you just stay (laughs) on don't you horses most amazing horsemen and women um yeah, but as far as like uh, handling and, and tending to them, the they're deeply concerned if the horse is injured or hurt. They want to make sure everyone everything's okay. They're not going to stroke and pet and love and cuddle their horses. It's just not part of the part of how they handle them. And that's partly to keep the horses safe. You know, mm-hmm. the horses spend nine months out of the year as wild herd. They need to rely on their natural ability to survive out there as yeah. as horses so if, if they become too domesticated that could risk their lives um i i i could talk I, I can keep talking about like as far as the way that they um handle the horses and like their training um they don't handle the horses at all from the right side it's all from the left and they don't touch anywhere past the saddle like they're not gonna they don't groom the tail they don't they groom the racehorses um to keep them you know looking nice they don't brush the mane and tail though mm-hmm. um, no like detangler or anything but a, a big thing with grooming is um on the race horses they'll c- collect the sweat because they consider the sweat of the horse um honorable and sacred hmm. so they'll actually collect the sweat off of the horses that win these races and, and what do uh, they do with it um I'm a little unsure as far as I can see, they like rub it on themselves. Okay. Uh, uh, they use these wooden sweat scrapers. I brought a few home. Um, but yeah, it's, it's that, that is a sacred thing is, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the winning of the horse. <laughs> That's really cool. So is there, is there anything that you learned with your time there about the treatment of the horses that you'll now bring back and has it has it changed you with your horsemanship at all? I don't think it's changed my horsemanship. I think it's changed. Um, I think I could put my finger on the importance of horses getting to be horses uh, more than necessarily the training goes. Um, we really do pull horses out of their natural element. And that's so abundantly clear when you see these, this landscape where there's nowhere for the horses to get trapped. They're just, right. they are in their own element and um, riding a horse that feels wild, but is so handy on the ground. I mean, the way they hovercraft over completely uneven terrain, bogs, poles, if you get out of their way, I mean, they're masters at navigating this landscape and mm-hmm. don't necessarily spook at things that our horses would spook at they run straight they run straight and fast where i was like i I would never think that my horse would run this far so straight they'd be zigzagging and these horses are just like interesting uh, rockets uh so yeah as far as training goes i don't i i did not feel that i would necessarily change 
my techniques or, uh, you know, mindset and training, but maybe a new respect of what horses are capable of. <laughs> that's really, that's really cool. Um, and then I got to ask you about, so you, I don't know if you posted or if the Mongol Derby site, if they posted about what happened where you got, you got kicked um, yeah. at when you came off. So can you tell us a little bit about what happened with that? Yeah. Um, this was on day two. So very early on, Gosh. I, my last leg of the day. And, um, this was a horse that I think I mentioned he was like the fastest horse I'd ever ridden, but a herder handed him to me and was like, you know, this is the one, which means his fast horse. I'm like, okay, he looks pretty fat. His feet are all splayed out. Okay. Well, whatever. It's the last leg. Um, and when I hopped on him, he was actually not too squirrely. He, he jumped around a little bit, but not too bad. And I trotted him out and I waited for two friends, which I learned was not a good idea. <laughs> Don't wait, just go. Um, and by the time they got on, and I was like, all right, let's go. I pointed in the right direction. He split too. He just started bronking. And I was not ready for it because I, when I got on and I was like ready for it, he was just fine. Um, so he just went to put his head between his legs and just stuck it to the sun. And I, um, he wasn't going to stop. So I bailed and I rolled off his right hip. And as I came off, he clocked me in the face on the left side. And um, I, when I stood up, I felt blood running down my face, but I didn't like nothing hurt. So I walked back to the horse station to go get him. And one of the medics flagged me down. She was like, come here, you're bleeding. What happened? I was like, Oh, I think I just got hit in the face, but I had heard it. You know, when I, when he hit me, it, it rang, like it clocked. And so she was like, it's probably just adrenaline. Let's just palpate you and see what's going on here. And she palpated my cheek and checked my teeth and everything was fine. She's like, man, you got lucky. You got really lucky. And I have a little scar. It's like a small little laceration on my lip that she taped together. Um, hopped back on and took off. And that horse was crazy fast. <laughs> we passed, I passed everyone that was on that leg uh, and had no control. Freaking up and down hills. I thought we were going to die. Um, that was probably one of the scarier rides of my life. Oh my also gosh. considering that I wasn't sure if I was okay. I, I, you know, if you've ever had like uh, an injury, you know, during an activity, sometimes adrenaline can hide a lot of things. So I was like, am I okay? I don't know. I got kicked in the face. But um, yeah, he covered 20 kilometers in like 50 minutes. Just like, just wow. blew through it. Wow. Um, I had people like yelling at me which direction to go because I couldn't pull my GPS out. <laughs> oh uh, uh, but yeah, so kick in the face and I, there's no mirrors out there. So I didn't know what it looked like, but apparently it turned into a very brilliant rainbow color. Um, the next morning I woke up to see my cheek. I, it was swollen. I could see it at the corner of my eye, but it never hurt. I, That's I got good. scared. <laughs> yeah, very lucky. And it's interesting, like you said, that they they do everything from the left side and you came off on the right. Yeah. So it's kind of probably startled him. Totally. Kicked out at you. Yeah. yeah. And it, when I so I watched the documentary, um, mm -hmm. uh, one of the ones that you recommended. And the whole time I was watching it, I was like, I gotta call Lena and tell her not to go. <laughs> Because it is so, it's so intense and, you know, people are coming off and all this thing, all this stuff. But I realized, um, you know, how when you, when you realize the importance of the safety of mounting and dismounting, 
like, you know, I, I, it wasn't until I did a couple of cult starts that I realized that, I mean, it's one of the most predatory looking things that we could do. Right. And we change position that changes the feeling on the horse and it, it can really set them off. And when I was watching that documentary of these people getting on these horses, it just, it just showed that to me, like how that those probably were the most dangerous moments of the race for you guys getting on and getting off. Yep. The first one, I mean, yeah, you're totally spot on your, as you're swinging your leg over, you want to get on and hunker down as fast as possible. Right. You can ride the whole leg unscathed on on a seemingly great horse. And at the end, when you go to step off, as your leg swings over, they can see it out of the corner eye and freak out and bolt out to the side and you can fall or get dragged or yeah, sorts of um, combinations of ailments. But um yeah so the the goal was get on and hang on straight away the first five minutes is the most dangerous generally and also rule number one never ever ever get off your horse in the middle of a leg for under any circumstances (laughs) uh because if you have to try and get on by yourself or as you're getting off you have reins and then you have a like a get down line and the get down line is leather and they break so if the horse freaks out and bolts and you're dragging it will snap and then there goes your gear and like we said, you don't know if you're ever going to get your gear back. Right. So how many, how many riders were there in your, in your race? We had 47. And how many finished? I don't know the exact number. I want to say 30. Okay. Okay. That's, mm-hmm. that's pretty darn good. Considering. It is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's really, and it was also really, uh, it was part of the craziness is getting into a horse station Mind you, we're in our own little world. I don't have a phone. I don't have, I have my GPS and my tracker. And the tracker is strictly for a life and death situation to set an alarm if, if something's going wrong. I have no communication with what's anyone else other than what's happening right here, right now. But when you go through the stations, you hear little bits and pieces of what's happening around the race. And you hear, oh, so-and-so broke their shoulder. So-and-so is like in UB because they had, you know, their lungs are messed up. They broke ribs so-and-so broke and you're like oh my god there's just carnage left and right and you're you're like okay stay safe blinders on just stay together be safe be safe ride smart i mean they're the carnage is real and um you know that these are all incredible riders and happened so did that like you're you're, I, i i hear you saying that you know you really had to stay in the moment and kind of tune that stuff out um, what, was there ever a time that you wanted to call it quits? No, no. Um, and that might, that I feel like I got to ride such an unscathed race. I mean, in all reality, um, I had a wonderful time. I had a really good time. And like I said, my, my body held up really well. My, um, I didn't have any major injuries. Injuries are like a cascading event out there. You're riding so far and so long that if you have like a rub on your stirrup or if your stirrups are twist a little bit and your outer knee is getting a strain, that strain is going to turn into a tear in two days. Like it, if you fell and hurt your hip, I mean, you're going to ride a little crooked. Your horse might spook. You fall again. You're, you could be toast. I mean, they're just small things cascade into enormous injuries very quickly. And so I got very lucky and I did not ever have a moment saying why, like I should stop. I had one moment where I really contemplated like, hmm, 
why did I feel like this was necessary? <laughs> like, I love adventure and, and, and craziness, but like, this is, this is really crazy. And then I, and then I hit a new edge and I went, this is crazy for this amazing reason. <laughs> right. But I did, yeah, did not have the feeling to, to stop. Yeah. Thankfully. Do you remember when, like, was that in the middle of the race or? The first three days may be the most challenging um, because you're, you're fresh. You're riding hard the first day, second day. By the third day, your body's like, wow, we're going to ride 12 hours at a full gallop for most of it. Or posting, you're going to post for 20 kilometers three times. Right. Day. <laughs> Are you sure? And then, and then your body peaks into this place of like, oh, okay, yes, we are going to do this. Now we're going to cruise. So day four is actually a kind of a hump day of the race where your body really questions if this is what you want to do for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. And then it accepts it. <laughs> so it was around day four where I had this really great, like inner dialogue of re reevaluating what winning looks like to me. Um, checking in with, you know, my body, how, how it's feeling and, um, and around then is when I started, I had those thoughts of like, this is a really long race. Like what, what made me feel like this was such a critical part of my life? <laughs> right. Right. That's so cool. It's so it's, you know, it's just, it's such a condensed, um, it's like this whole lifetime lived in, in 10 days. It's this yeah. super intense condensed thing. Yeah. So that's it's- really good. Uh, as all derby riders would probably agree, it's the come down is a big deal. They call it the derby blues. Um, people, you know, retelling the stories is such a joy because you get to dive back into that world. But I know a lot of people struggle with re-entering society yeah. <laughs> and not being around, you know, fellow derby riders who can look at you and go, I know. Yeah. I know the life you just lived. That's super, that's super interesting too. Cause no one like, you know, I, I can, I can get a a sense of what it was like. I've had experiences, not anywhere close to that, but really intense experiences like that. And then, you know, coming back to life can be, can be challenging um, because you want to, you want to get back to that experience. Um, so I, I, I get what you're saying. Like, I can hear you, I can listen to you and I can think about my own experiences, but I wasn't there. I don't, you know, I, we can't, we can't connect over that experience. And that would be, that would be challenging. And it kind of remind you know, makes me think of people that have been in military, um, you know, yeah. experiences and, and even more intense than, you know, what you went through and absolutely. Um, yeah. So are you, are you in touch with many of the writers that you okay. met there? That's cool. Absolutely. They're family. Yeah. They're uh, akin, you know, they, they will always have a a very deep place in my heart and hope to keep good contact and we'll put a lot of energy to maintain those relationships. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. So uh, do you have any thoughts on what's next for you? Ooh. um, Well, I am certainly diving back into my aviation world. I'm going to channel all of my energy and drive into um flying and and building up this career in aviation so um i'm still my my big manifestation dream is to still train horses in the spring and fall and fly in the summer and maybe winter as well but um 
try and blend those two worlds. That's cool. And what, and do you have a picture in that vision of like, what kind of flying are you going to do like charter flying or what would that right look? now? The most attractive to me is like bush plane flying. So maintaining, you know, flying the small aircraft, um, that's subject to change based on what happens. <laughs> sure. Sure. That's what, what I kind of see. That's kind of yeah. what I see you doing. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, well, what a, what a delight. Like I, I went from not knowing anything about this race to getting to meet you and learn a little bit about it and then follow you in the race. And now, you know, getting to hear what it was like. So, and I know quite a few people, um, especially in the Facebook group that we have, um, we're following you and, you know, I'm sure that people are going to really enjoy hearing, hearing this, this follow-up. So thank you so much. And I hope we stay connected and I get to hear about your adventures to come. Thank you. And any questions ever, I love reliving the dream. Thank you for joining us for this interview. I hope you enjoyed it. I know one of the things for me that really stood out is Lena's desire to have this be a one-off, meaning that she doesn't want to try to repeat it and she doesn't want to change anything because if she changes one thing, it won't be the profound experience that it, that it was. And I just, I love that concept. And I think it can really apply to all of our lives that even the tough stuff that happens leads us to some places that we wouldn't end up if we didn't if we hadn't gone through the tough stuff and then it reminded me of earlier I think it was yesterday I was drinking uh, tea and every once in a while I'll take a look at the tea bag the little message that comes on the bag and the message that I read really resonated with me and so I thought I'd share it with you I think it fits this conversation and if you hopefully it's something that you might need to hear so it says, the world needs your unique gifts. Don't leave with them still inside you. So keep being you. Thanks for being a part of this. And please share it. One of my goals of this podcast is that it reaches the people that need to hear it most. So I'd love for you to spread the word about it. So thanks for being a part of this. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. 